Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver world-class customer service, a better buying experience, and how you and your organization can create a new stream of revenue, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. While you're there, make sure you go visit the blog. That's bookingprotect.com forward slash blog forward slash. We have done a new ebook called What Matters in Ticketing Now. In fact, as I'm recording this introduction to the podcast, I just finished a webinar, which we'll I'll tag all over the place built around what matters in ticketing now and where we talked about trends and ideas which i collected from 40 people all over the world um talks about experience and technology and sales and marketing it's a great resource and you can get that at the booking protect website um at www.bookingprotect.com forward slash blog forward slash and you'll go right there do you get my newsletter it's called talking tickets it is five top stories from the week that was delivered to your inbox um, on Friday morning, my time, so Eastern time in the U.S., uh, five top stories with a little bit of analysis and some action items so you can take action um, and put these trends and ideas to work for your business. You can get that newsletter one of two ways. Visit my website, that's DaveWakeman.com, and click on the Get Talking Tickets ban- um, link at the top of the page, or you can send me an email, Dave at DaveWakeman.com, and put Talking Tickets in the subject line, and I will get you added. So check this out. It's really great. Um, we started to put some uh, surveys in there, um, some opportunities for webinars and workshops and all kinds of great stuff in there, um, along with like some really, really great stories. It's a fantastic resource. It's great, completely free. Sign up. Visit my website, DaveWakeman.com. Look for the Talking Tickets link or send me an email, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. My guest today is a return guest. And this is like a sort of a special thing, but I needed to have my friend Greg Turner back on the podcast because the first time we recorded it, um, our episode, there was a challenge with the firewall that exists in China around the internet. And so there was a lag in the conversation. And so it made the first podcast either really, really difficult to listen to or almost impossible depending on your point of view. For me, it didn't sound very good, but I left it up just because if you wanted to cut through and get a certain answer, you probably could. Um, but we wanted I wanted to re-record it because I thought that Greg's perspective um, was really important. He shared some really, really valuable insights on doing business in China, and he, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, so this is actually an entirely new conversation. We probably didn't really touch on much of the same topic or ideas that we did before. Um, but we did talk about the NBA. We talked about the coronavirus. We talked about um, the, the way that um, European football has moved into China. We talked about the speed of business in China. We talked about basketball. We talked about Yao Ming. We talked about um, why we're redoing the thing. We gave, we gave a recap. Um, we talked about troubles in Hong Kong. Um, and what those mean for business. We talked about David Stern. We talked about um, 
you know the nature of business relationships we talked about uh the different cities and action and we and even i sprung action items on greg uh so in case no matter what you can get action items from the podcast because as i move past episode 100 which was the last one into episode 101 i wanted to focus more on action items and giving people an opportunity to take something they've learned in the podcast and to put it to work for them so um without any more from me Hopefully you'll dig this episode um, and this re-recording with my friend Greg Turner from China on the Business of Fun podcast. All right, I want to welcome back to the Business of Fun podcast, Greg Turner. Greg, I think we've done this before recently. Is that right? Yeah, we did this, uh, I think, about two months ago. I don't even know if it's Great conversation, but... I was going to say, I don't know if it's even been two months at this point, but um, I think probably we should tell people why we are redoing this, because it's not just because, uh, um, you, you know, I, I needed to talk to you about once a month, which that's also totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what I think why we're re-recording here or, or coming back so soon is important for people to under, I think it adds a lens to, into the Chinese market for people. So do you want to explain to uh, everybody what happened? Um, so we had a great conversation, lots of great talk, lots of great things covered. And then uh, when I listened to the podcast, and I, I had a few other people tell me the same thing, it turns out that because of my VPN or because of the Chinese firewall or whatever, we ended up talking over each other for most of the discussion because there was a little bit of a drag or a little bit of a lag between our different uh, audio tracks. Yeah, and it was impossible for me to figure it out, um, how to fix that. Um, I guess probably if I had a high tech solution, I would be able to do two track recording. But since I only had one track, it made it impossible for people to hear. But I left it up so that people didn't think I was trying to hide any anything from anybody. Um, so we will apologize for that. Um, but it does provide us a good opportunity to cover some new ground. Um, but before we do that, since people probably had a, a hard time listening the first time, maybe you want to give a quick recap of kind of some of the big highlight from our first conversation um, and we'll use that as like a springboard to you know a new conversation sure sure so I, I think probably um, I'll just quickly hit on a few different key um, points that I had in the first discussion um, one of the things is everybody if you're doing business in China especially if you're in events whether they're live events for music sports whatever always remember that unlike in the West where Business, or the government works for businesses. In China, businesses work for the government. So whatever you're doing, you have to make sure that you're aligned with what the government is trying to achieve in their, in their current policies or their current five-year plan. Um, that's probably the first key for doing business in China. Second one is always good to have good relationships, always knowing who your friends are, and uh, remembering that they are friends. You're not just there to uh, – they're not there just to help you when you need them. They're there to be there when you don't need them as well. So developing long-term relationships, understanding who's got the connections and who are the people you need to meet is also pretty important. Um, if I remember right, we also talked a little bit about NBA and Juventus and, and, or, and European League and stuff like that. But maybe that's something else we can cover today in a little bit more fun detail. Well, that was a, actually a very concise recap. I, I'm 
I would not have done so so well. So thank. <laughs> um, all right. So I'll kid this side. Um, well, I'm sure because I'm sure there'll be more jokes. That's sort of the nature of this beast. Um, one thing that is going on that is unique and timely as we're having as we're talking again is that the coronavirus is uh, mm-hmm. causing a lot of trouble in China. And I got to be honest, uh, last week when I was in New York, it was the first time it sort of made news in the States. And I didn't see the coronavirus. I just saw Corona. And I was like, what did Corona's <laughs> advertising agency do? Or what did Corona do? But it's the coronavirus. And um, you said you actually were in China in 2003 when the SARS virus came through. Um, and you said that a couple things that was, number one, it seems to be less panic this time. And then number mm-hmm. two, you were telling me a story about how the X Games were supposed to take place um, later this month, or I guess we're almost at the end of January, so it's been February. Um, yeah, end of February. And because of the virus, it's caused the X Games to be canceled. And mm-hmm. then the second part of this, which was really interesting to me, was like, well, what happens if this happens during the Olympics? Um, and I think probably you giving me everybody a little bit of a background and kind of talking through that situation um, might be of a special interest right now just because of, you know, the coronavirus being in the news and the way it ties into sports business. Right. So, yeah, I was here and I, I arrived in China in 2000. And so I was here in 2003. And actually, um, just for a little bit more story on that, I was living in Beijing when the when the SARS first came out. And it wasn't such a big story then. It was a little bit of stuff, something going down in Hong Kong. I was about to make a move to Shanghai to start a, a new job. And uh, while I basically while I was on the train from Beijing to Shanghai, the Beijing government came out and announced that they had 200 unreported cases of SARS and an unknown future number of cases coming up. And by the time that I got to Shanghai and went into the office for my first day, the office building where I was working, they wouldn't let me in because I was coming from Beijing. So the whole building was just shut down. And I think that kind of represents what the cult, what this country was like at that point. Everybody was so scared and so confused and didn't know what was going on. The governments were announcing new cases all over the country and now all over the world, and people were quite scared and concerned and a little bit of a panic. Um, this time to me, uh, people are still scared, but they're not. It doesn't have the same sort of confusion or panic that it was in 2003, where people are maybe a little more confident in themselves, a little bit more confident in the in the in the system. Um, you know, there's still a lot of questions about what's going on. I've seen some, it's difficult sometimes to be getting fresh vegetables and stuff like that at the supermarket. But overall, yesterday I was out at the park and, uh, lots of people just out walking around enjoying the day and stuff like that. So, um, the general feeling here is okay. But having said that, um, the X Games, the Winter X Games are supposed to be held up near Beijing at the end of next month. And they have become a, a victim of the central government's decision to cancel all sports events and all different kinds of concerts and any kind of large gatherings for the next for the foreseeable future. And um, so that's quite a shame because it was going to be the first real um, X Games type of events in the winter that China's ever seen. And it would have been really exciting, I think, for a lot of people. Um, but as you mentioned, it's kind of a forebearer for 2022. When the Winter Olympics come to Beijing, what's going to happen if this kind of virus comes up again? So I would, I, I suspect that you're going to find in the next two years the government's really going to crack down on, on anything that might be at any kind of risk to, to create this kind of virus again, just because 
imagine the imagine the chaos that would happen if in 2022 there was a similar kind of virus that came out, maybe centered in Beijing, and nobody, no athlete would want to come to Beijing then. No, no spectator would want to come to Beijing then. It would be a complete disaster for China and for the whole world sporting community. Right. So it's uh, it's a, maybe it's a good thing that happened this year to help to um, as as terrible as that is to say that should never happen this, this kind of thing should never happen but um, at least it gives the gives the country some time to to get ready for 2022. Right, and well, you know, being the noted Chinese expert that I am, that a, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've what, been teaching you well. Exactly right. Um, well, what I did notice when I was passing through was that it does seem that the government does have a very sophisticated um, way of managing um, and checking and kind of making sure that viruses and illnesses and things stay under control, which I guess if you have such a large population is probably a good idea. Um, yeah. But I guess, I guess one of the things is that's interesting to me when you talked about it was keeping it under control. You know, what kind of, challenges is that going to create for people because um you, you as a marketer right um how are you going to push back against the idea that it's not safe to go there um which is going to hurt because you know you brought up some of the the nba and some of the european football leagues um you know and there's a lot of sport and entertainment that comes through and having any kind of virus or anything where things are shut down is not good for marketing a, a event or sports you know, so how do how you know how do you you know keep this from derailing things for over a longer period of time? Well, um, on an international level, how to deal with it on an international level? If you're an event coming in, that's a little bit difficult to say. But I can say, as an operator here in China, it's just you have to accept these kinds of risks. That any time the government could come in and 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 shut down your event for any reason at all. I remember back in two thousand and seven or 2000 around 2007 i was doing a running event in, in shanghai and uh at that time there was a lot of anti-japanese protests going on because for whatever reason china and japan at that time were quite angry with each other and um to try and calm down all the protests the, again the government just canceled all public activities so our our running event had to be canceled, which was quite tough for us. We had Adidas on as the title sponsor for the event. But within the country, everybody kind of accepts it as par for the course. It's a, it's a risk of doing business. Um, and for anybody coming in, expecting to, to run a successful event in China, you have to be able to do just that. Uh, understand that um, whatever you're trying to do, the government, again, they're the ones that set the rules. They can change the rules at any time. Yeah, and, that, and that's one thing that you maybe we haven't talked about yet, which I thought was an or I guess you did bring it up in your recap, your recap of that the government works. You work for the government, not the other way around. And that's very important. Right. And that plays out yeah. in this situation, which yeah. I think, you know, kind of opens the door to another situation that has um, it was a big part of our first conversation. And in light of today is it's the 29th where you are. And it's late yes. in the 28th where I am. So Tuesday yep. or Wednesday, um, which is – so we'll talk about – touch on the NBA. And we'll talk about um, specifically uh, the fact that like the death of Kobe Bryant because um, – and then we'll – there's a couple of aspects of this NBA relationship. But the first thing I want to bring up is Kobe Bryant because um, yep. as I was talking to you before we started recording this thing, it seems that um, 
it, it really struck a chord with people everywhere. Um, you know, I know in the mm-hmm. States, it's been a big thing, but I was asking you about how, how it um, has impacted the people in China because it seemed that Kobe Bryant had a really strong relationship with the Chinese people. And I would say that, um, and this may be a bold, uh, maybe even too bold of a, a, a statement, but Kobe Bryant may be the second most important person to the growth of basketball in, in China after Yao Ming um, because he was just like such a big star, it felt like, in China. And and you said that he was, and part of it was just because of his extreme passion for helping people yeah. and being involved in everything. And, you know, and so I'm curious about how people are reacting to this, you know, and especially in the context of, um, the China, you know, Chinese people not necessarily always being, um, so involved in sports or so active in sports. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I asked well, a very I, good question either, but that's fine. That's, you know, a hundred episodes in, you, everybody knows yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would say that, um, Kobe is, Kobe's place in basketball in China is probably only overshadowed by Yao Ming. Um, that's, that's what I personally believe. Um, I know that, for example, NBA China had been working on a, on a television program together with Kobe that he was going to be hosting in China, basically a reality TV program searching for China's next great basketball player. Um, I don't think that that ever got off the ground, obviously, but unfortunately, but, um, you know, it just shows that he has the star power himself to host a television program in China. Um, with the coronavirus going on, I think it's kind of muted the, uh, the public outpour for him in China, but I have seen a lot on social media saying that, you know, first the coronavirus, now Kobe, Kobe dying. Can 2022, can 2020 get any worse? You know, they really, they equate it on such a big level that it's just a national tragedy on, in line with the coronavirus. Um, so his passing is, it's, it's quite sad here in China. I think a lot of people are quite, quite, you know, they're, they're, they, they loved him and they're, they're going to miss him. Yeah, so two, so it brings up a question, but then number one is that how awesome is, I am a Chinese expert. I totally nailed that Kobe Bryant was the second most important person in Chinese basketball history. That's awesome. I, cause it, I'm sure everybody knows I'm no Chinese expert at all. So, but I have a great love for culture. So that's great. Um, but, but one of the things interesting about looking at the NBA, right? Besides the Kobe Bryant stuff, um, we, you mentioned Yao Ming. I think I mentioned Yao Ming as well. Um, but is how successful the NBA has been compared to other leagues? Um, mm-hmm. and uh, a point I made, or I, I guess it was more, excuse me, a guess I made was that this all started with Yao Ming making his way to the NBA and the Houston Rockets. Um, but as an expert, a real expert, not a made up one like me, uh, as an expert on the, you know, sport business in China, you know, what do you think the reasons behind the NBA success in China are? Right. Um, yeah, I was definitely a big part of it, but I wouldn't say he was the start of it. He was the catalyst to really take them, blow them up. But um, I heard a story. There's a gentleman named Ma Guoli, and he was the head of the China Central Television Sports Channel back in the late 80s and early 90s. And I heard him at a conference last year talking, telling this story, which is great. Um, and it was a story about how David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA, would fly over to China with game tapes in hand and just sit outside of his office waiting for him to come out so he can pass the tapes 
to Malgoli to be put on put on CCTV, the Central Television Program. And you know, here he is. He's the he's the commissioner of the one of the four big leagues in the in North America, sitting in the lobby of this guy's office, waiting for waiting for this guy to come out, right? No meeting, no uh, no scheduled meeting, no promise that he's ever going to even come out of the office. And David Stern's sitting there waiting for him to come out to make sure that his games can get put on television in China. And I think that represents the whole NBA's attitude towards China, where they've really invested themselves into the country. You know, they've set up NBA China. Uh, it's just an independent or operation, basically, built on building a product, focused on building a product that matches the Chinese market. Um, that suits Chinese tastes and takes advantages of Chinese uh, resources and opportunities. Um, it's really difficult for a company to, for a sports property or for any kind of company to run an operation in China from New York City. Um, and until you're really ready to invest and, and build up a team and build up the resources, build up the connections to, to show people in China that you're part of their community, I don't think you're ever going to really succeed here. Well, let me ask you this too, because of the, and I was going to say you used a really great line, which is like you have a hard time running a league in China if you're based in New York City, and because I, I thought that was a really great way to describe the situation. But what I'm kind of curious about, because I think this will inform the people who are listening, and this is a part I know we brought up along with the David Stern story, um, because now when you started telling it, I was like, oh, that's a great story. I should have remembered to bring that up again. Um, but can you describe what, you know, kind of the difference in the Chinese market compared to what we might typically see in the North American market? Um, because the, the differences are really drastic, and I think probably they get lost in translation a little bit because – I think I said this on the last podcast. As Americans, we are very, very um, – we think that the world sees everything the way we see it. And that's not necessarily the case in China. Right. Um, you know, I'm a Canadian growing up in Canada, and I'm sure the same thing for everybody in America and a lot of the Europe even. Um, you grew up playing sports, and you're part of community sports teams. Your, your weekends and evenings are dedicated to practices and games. And when you're not practicing, when you're not at practice, you're not playing a game. You're with your friends playing on the side, and all this kind of stuff um, embeds the sport within you. It becomes part of your your real culture and who you are. Um, in China, it's a different story where everybody there is so focused on. When you're young, you're so focused on school and studying and doing your homework and you don't have a lot of time to really uh dedicate to uh to to sports outside of school um even within school you maybe have two hours a week of pe class so you're not dealing as a sports property you're not dealing with fans that have it as, as part of who they are you're starting from people that you know maybe they've seen it on tv once or twice but they don't even understand what the games is about and how do you turn that kind of maybe curiosity into, into real passion. Um, and I think that the NBA is, is one obviously that's, that's made that happen. Yeah. It almost brings to, it almost brings the question to me. It's like, if the NBA has done such a good job of developing a market in China, uh, why are teams doing so poorly in the States? Because the model is right there for <laughs> <laughs> for them, but, I, but I'm going to play nice today. So, um, is it, is, yeah, I, I uh, couldn't answer that question. For no, you, you, you couldn't. That's what we call a, uh, I think we would call it an existential question. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I guess the thing is, is, you know, I'm, I'm curious, right? It's like, so if you don't identify 
with the sport and maybe you don't even understand it because it's brand new to you. Um, you know, what were some of the, the, the ideas and the actions that they took that helped establish, uh, the sport? Because I think that this is, um, relevant to everybody because I know that, mm. you know, just in the, to give you a little context, I know there's people in Australia who are work with the AFL on bringing the AFL to China that uh, listen here. Yep. I know that, um, you know, I have friends at the NHL who are working to bring hockey to China. Yep. Um, I think this is reflect this, the answer that you're going to give is going to reflect on almost everybody that's trying to build an audience. Right. Well, I would, I mean, the two biggest sports in China are football and basketball. Um, and you know, I think the reasons for that are is that there's such simple games to play. Um, there's basketball hoops in every school in China and every military base in China and every, every place where young people are in China, there's basketball hoops. Um, and a football, you can kick that around anywhere. So it's an easy to access game. Um, but uh, I think more than that, on basketball side especially, why it really blew up was – Again, just going back to that whole the dedication that the league showed to uh, helping develop the, the the sport, right? And not necessarily even at the beginning develop their brand, but just develop the sport itself and make sure that people could could feel a passion for it. Their junior NBA program here is huge, um, you know, and that's just them putting the putting the time in to go into the schools and give kids the chance to really play basketball. Um, sure, they've got it branded, but the bigger thing is. It's it's about basketball. It's not just about the NBA. Yeah, to to me, it's it seems simple, right? That you're going to promote the sport and have people engage with it before you even try to sell them something. But I don't think everybody always thinks that way. Um, you know, so it's interesting to hear that perspective yeah. come from someone half a world away. Uh, well, I'm sure that part of it's just the investment that's required upfront investment without knowing what your return is going to be. I mean, David Stern, just going back to the story of him sitting in the office, he didn't know if those game tapes would ever get put on, but he was willing, willing to sit down in that, in that lobby and get the game tapes into Mogwali's hands. Yeah. Um, so is a league willing to, to put the money in upfront with the hope of getting returns in the long run? That's, that's the, that's the question. Right. Oh, no, and it's a great question because it also leads along the lines of, no matter what you're going to do, there's a certain amount of risk involved. And yeah. what what this story tells me, at least, is that um, you can't necessarily guarantee your success no matter what you're going to do. But what you can do is you can put certain uh, ideas and t- uh, tactical and tactics in place that will give you a greater likelihood of success. Right. You oh, know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, that the key to entering any market is making sure that from the start you have thought through the necessary outcomes that you're trying to achieve and you can measure what success looks like, um, you know, in a realistic manner. Because like you said, David Stern went and he would wait outside of the offices of CCTV, not knowing if he's going yeah. to get a meeting, not knowing what was going to happen, you know, investing a lot of time and energy and money because it was important. So the first time, right, it wasn't that you're going to get a billion dollars in revenue or, you know, a million fans watching or selling out games all over China. It was really just getting the guy. Well, one game on TV. Right. Well, uh, probably the first time it was even just getting the guy to like 
see you. Take the tapes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just take the tapes from you. You know, and, yeah. and I think sometimes that leads to a lot of failure is not understanding, um, you, you know, what the logical path to success looks like. And, and I know that's a difficult yeah. thing to map out for a lot of people. Um, because I mean, I have those conversations with people all the time. It's like, well, what's the next logical step and what's that going to look like? And, you know, and hearing that story is, it really, um, it sticks with me because it, it seems that it's probably a valuable lesson for everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and what I, I guess what I, where I was leading was, um, you also mentioned soccer, uh, which you call football, and we'll we'll, uh, we'll make sure we spell it out for the American audiences <laughs> because there's because we have the Super Bowl coming up this week. Uh, but is yeah. there is a lot of uh, European football clubs that have a presence in yeah. China now, and uh, I would say from this is me, um, you know, some of them are having a lot more success than others. It seems if I were putting my money on people that were doing, having a lot more success. It seems from, as an outsider, uh, uh, a nominal Chinese expert, like I'll call myself now, uh, it, is that the Spurs and Man U seem to be really, really doing, um, really, really well in China. Um, and, but I don't know if that's accurate or if that's just my, uh, somewhat biased opinion. Um, but, but what it does, <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh because you're laughing at my jokes because you know, <laughs> messing with you. Well, I'm, I'm sure the Spurs is totally not at all a, a biased comment there. Completely at all. not biased. <laughs> um, but, but it highlights, the, I think one of the important things you brought out are, or you, we've talked about before, which is they've been really, really focused on, um, you know, understanding who their customer is and how they can add value. Um, within the mm-hmm. context of of the of the sport in in China, um, but I'm curious, you know, number one, who do you think is working well, or what do you think is working well, um, and you know, what advice would you give um, European football clubs that are looking to get into China? And I guess this probably really relates to any league or team that's trying to get into China. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it goes back to setting up on the ground and get, getting a team in place that can be here and be part of what's going on, understand the opportunities. You know, China moves at such a fast pace. Opportunities come up every day. Opportunities disappear every day. And unless you're here ready to move on them, uh, it's difficult to keep up. And on the other side as well, I mean, I know a lot of clubs uh, have set up, say, for example, youth academies here, and they've, and they've licensed out their names to different operators to, to run academies in the, in, in, under their brand that have turned out to be anything but what they want their brand to be anything, but what their brand is. Uh, um, you know, it, it, they, they don't represent the brand values. They don't show what the brand wants to be. And then people start getting a bad feeling towards it. They don't, they don't appreciate the the real character of what this club is or what this team represents. Yeah. And I think that's very important because I mean, I've told people all, all the time, like, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in licensing or like, depending on what it is and where your expertise lies, maybe you want to share that idea or license that product or, or license your brand uh, right away. But if it's not done well, it can destroy mm-hmm. all of your goodwill and all your branding as in like a snap, right? It's just, yeah, it can be really, really horrible. Um, another thing I think that, and I'm curious about your opinion on this is to be cautious of doing quantity over quality. 
when they're oh, yeah. creating, you know, products, creating content, creating everything, because I don't think this is exclusive to China. I think this is exclusive to the world. Um, sometimes it's easier just to do a lot of stuff than to do one or two things well. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. curious kind of how and what your opinion is on that and how you see it impacting teams and organizations as they come to China. Right. So I think that that's that the, you know, the football, soccer, it's a good question with regards to them because a lot of leagues, a lot of teams and clubs came in going for the quick cash, licensing everything they possibly could and are now starting to feel the effects of, of what negative licensing can do if, if that's a proper term. Um, and some of them are starting to look on ways to maybe pull some of that licensing back and restart from zero. And so their past 10 years, their past 15 years of work here or licensing other people's work is basically going to be washed from the board and they're going to start from zero. Um, so, but on the other side, I think I'd also like to raise the example of how using a name can be really quite powerful. And it goes back to the basketball and what Yao Ming has done here in China. Um, you know, he, he blew up, he made his name in the NBA, becoming China's favorite player and China's chosen, cho- chosen son and stuff like that. But he came back and he used that, that name power and that, that recognition in a very strong way to create a brand that people across the nation just love. Um, you know, he's got basketball programs for underprivileged kids. He's got, um, he's got uh, a whole bunch of different charity initiatives that he's taken on. He's got all different kinds of work that he does. He's now the commissioner of the China Basketball Association, trying to restart that brand and, and make it a little bit more reputable. He's uh, on the government side. He's one of the representatives for, for uh, sport in the in the government, and he's really using both his name power, uh, some of what I think he probably learned it while he was in the U.S., and just his own smarts to to make a lot of good difference. Yeah, and I do because I've been fortunate enough to see a little bit of this stuff. I do think that he has set a really good example for what people can do once of using their fame once they've retired and maybe the fame isn't top mind to continue mm-hmm. to have an impact in the area that they focus on or, or that they become famous in. And I think, you know, it's might call it giving back whatever it is, but I think he set to re, uh, it seems like a really good example for people. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's nice to see because he was always, um, I mean, I know he's obviously, uh, what you, you, I forget, you, you call them like the rising son of, of China or, yeah, but the he, chosen child, yeah. chosen son. Yeah. But he was, I mean, he was, had to be the most popular player in the NBA for a while. If, or if not number one, he was in the top three. Um, I think right. most people had a very favorable impression of Yao Ming. Um, because, yeah. you know, it, it, he just had seemed to carry that kind of conviction with, with people all over the world. Um, because I mean, I know even my friends and I, we'd be like, Oh yeah, I mean, it's awesome. And like, you see them. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's really great to, to see now, as you may or may not know, you may know this, um, with my episode 100, I wanted to start off, um, focusing people back on a couple things and using episode 100 as like a relaunch of the podcast, um, with a focus on, giving people some action items or giving and with and tying the focus a lot more to strategy, uh, marketing and um, innovation. So knowing the context of the two conversations we've had about the Chinese market, um, understanding a little bit about, um, you know, your views on the market. 
I was wondering if you had like a, an action item or a or, or two about people, you know, that would help people who are thinking about entering the Chinese market who are already there um, or, you know, and maybe even a good example is those people who have been trying to pull back their licenses um, because they aren't happy with what's going on. You know, an action item or two that will help them, you know, either be successful from the start or kind of point themselves back in the right direction. And I probably should have warned you about this question, but now we're going to see that you really know your stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, action items. Hmm, uh, we did kind of touch on this a little bit, and I think I came up with three good ones when, in the, when we were talking before the podcast started. But now I now that I slipped my mind, actually. <laughs> um, I've been so engulfed in everything else we've been talking about. Um, you know, obviously the first one is is making sure you're aligned with the government. Um, that's always important. Um, second one I would say is understand that China is not one market. You got to understand that Shanghai. You can build a business in Shanghai and make make all the money you could possibly ever want there. It's got a population the same size as Canada. Um, but what works in Shanghai is not going to work in Shenzhen, and it's not going to work in Beijing, and it's not going to work definitely once you get outside of those big international cities. Um, and then the third one, I think, is is making sure that you're here on the ground and you're building something up um, and you're not trying to manage it from afar and you're not trying to take the model that made you successful in the U.S. or in the U.K. or wherever you're coming from and just drop it here because that's not going to work either. Um, you've got to use the resources that are here, use the opportunities, um, and really, uh, really develop something for the market. Yeah. And I don't know. And so two points on those, and those are three good ones, right? Number, the second one you were talked about, it's not just one market. I think one thing that we brought up in the first podcast that we maybe didn't touch on is when people, they see Hong Kong or they see Shanghai or they see Beijing and they think that's it. And we were talking about yeah. second and third tier cities the last time we yeah. talked. These second and what are considered second and third Chinese cities are bigger than New York. They're bigger. Oh, than, yeah. They, they're yeah. huge. So the, like, they yeah. might be second or third tier Chinese cities, but they're still megapolises. They, they might be cities you've never heard of, but, but they've got so much potential for your business that, especially in the next 10 years, that, uh, you'd be silly not to, not to learn those names pretty fast. Yeah. Um, you know, China's development's come to a point, first 10 years, it was all about developing Shanghai, Beijing, and maybe Shenzhen, Guangzhou. Last, Five years or so has been all about, uh, you know, some of the other cities like Nanjing or Suzhou or, um, you know, a few other second tier cities. Now it's the rest of the country. And that's that um, those uh, middle class, those middle class consumers, they're all over the country now. And you have to to build a business here. You have to understand that and know where know, know how to get them. Yeah. And which brings me into the second point, which, again, I think we maybe touched on or if we didn't. Um, and this is one where you can totally smack me down if I'm completely wrong. But by your brand, if you are a um, English Premier League team or La Liga or Serie A or um, the NBA or the NHL or anybody, it, if you're done, if you do it well, your brand carries a sort of luxury or premium uh, feel to it that enables you to have to create really great opportunities in these places. But if you do it with the expectation of I'm American or I'm British or I'm whomever, I can just roll my thing into town and people are going to fall all over myself because I'm from the West. You're wrong. You're wrong. That maybe happened 20 years ago, but consumers here, they're way too smart now. They, yeah. they can smile that out from miles away. Yeah. 
which I would probably point to, and this is completely for uh, the Car Talk podcast that I don't do, as um, one of the reasons that Tesla, I think, is having some success in China is because they have made a um, really strong effort to make sure that they are part of the country and part of the community yep. that they operate in. And I think that would be yep. a valuable lesson to add to point three. Yeah. You just look at what Elon's done. He's built his relationships. He's come in, he's invested into the country. He's done He's, he's seized on what the government wants to achieve, which is a green economy. And he's really taken advantage of all of that to, to, to make China his market. Yeah, no, I, I applaud him for it. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm, yep. as everybody who listens to this thing knows, I'm a fan. So, um, yep. as we've done before, I will mention, um, I will ask you, where can people find you? I'll also say that we'll, you'll probably uh, be able to find us on the, uh, the B and C city, uh, world tour coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> TVD. So probably. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the best place to find me because I'm in China and most social media here is blocked. The best place to find me is LinkedIn. I've been really this year. I've made it a goal to start adding a lot more content there um, to help share some of the knowledge I've gained over 20 years in China. Um, so I encourage everybody to go and check out check out my LinkedIn, uh, Greg Allen Turner, A L L E N. Um, there's a lot of content there already. And then also I've recently joined Twitter, but I don't really know how to use it. So I'm just kind of, I'm a Twitter stalker right now, making sure, watching what other people are doing, trying to understand it a bit. Um, those are probably the easiest ways. Okay, perfect. Well, with me. Yeah. I guess now, hopefully this one, we won't have the same errors and people will hear a full conversation <laughs> with us. So, but I, I appreciate yeah. you. <laughs> I appreciate you doing this again for me. My pleasure. I'm glad to get back on with you anytime. What did you think with the, about the re-recorded episode with Greg Turner? Let me know. Send me an email. It's dave at davewakeman.com. As always, you can find out what I'm up to by visiting my website. It's davewakeman.com. I'd love it if you connect with me on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn, or you can follow me on Twitter. It's at David Wakeman on Twitter. And as I've mentioned now for 101 episodes, if you know the person who has the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, get it for me. Hasn't tweeted since 2010. That's a decade. I need that thing to keep brand consistency. Why don't you? As always, I would love it if you like what I'm doing on the podcast, if you share it with some colleagues or some friends, right? Share a link, uh, point people towards it on the internet, whatever. Friends, colleagues, anybody who you think would benefit from doing from listening to one of these podcast conversations, like the one I did today with Greg, or any of the ones with great people like Lauren Teague and her experiences with the PGA Tour and social media. <coughs> Excuse me, Cat Spencer, Simon Mab, um, Eric Fuller, Martin Gameltoff, Tammy Gaw, any of these people, it means the world to me. If you've already been sharing the podcast with your friends and colleagues, how about? becoming a subscriber we're on most of the major podcast platforms now so it's great you can just click the link subscribe so you never miss an episode and if you've gone that far you shared the podcast with somebody and you subscribed maybe you want to leave a review rate and review the thing it means a lot helps people discover the podcast and it encourages me to continue to deliver this these conversations this great content and dig deep on some of these topics that are beneficial to you and me as always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect for being such great partners uh, on the business fun, talking tickets, and everywhere. If you haven't already, check them out by visiting their website. It's bookingprotect.com. There you can find out all kinds of information about becoming a partner, um, the 
customer service foundation that is really essential to the way uh, that they create value for you and your partners and your customers. Um, all kinds of great stuff. You'll be able to find the What Matters in Ticketing Now ebook there. Um, you'll be able to find out, you know, why partnering with Booking Protect is valuable for delivering a better, more customized buyer journey for your customers. Um, how they're able to deliver this world-class customer service and maybe most importantly how you can create new revenue for your organization right so check them out visit them at www.bookingprotect.com and if you don't already make sure you get talking tickets which is my brand new ticket related newsletter it comes out on friday morning in the east coast of the u.s uh probably around four o'clock in the morning so um, that would be 9 o'clock in the morning in London. Um, I have no idea what time it is in in, in Sydney, but it's somewhere around 7 uh, in Sydney. Um, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I think, in Hong Kong. But it comes out on Fridays in the U.S. Um, check it out. You can send me an email. I'll get you on the list. DavidDaveWakeman.com. Put talking tickets in the subject line or go to my website, DaveWakeman.com. And click the link for talking tickets and you'll get signed up it's a great resource as always i want to thank you so much for listening thank you so much for your attention and until next time take it easy i'll see you soon